0: Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Revelations chapter 5. And we're going to be looking at the 14 verses, the whole chapter. And as we talked about today, we are starting this new series called No Other Name. We're going to take a pause in the book of Mark And go ahead and talk about this idea of no other name, the name of Jesus. And we want to cry out to the name of Jesus. So as you're turning to that passage, hopefully you received your notes from your life group leaders. Uh, You can get it in our, those of you watching online, you can get that in our church app. So you can get the notes there. I wanted to start off and uh, as you're turning to that passage, just to think about this question. The question is this, what is the most valuable thing that you have in your possession right now? It doesn't have to be right with you right now because you're like, uh, you know, my shirt. I don't know. But in your possession being, it could be at home, but what is it that you own that is very, very valuable to you? If you think about this question, you realize that it's different for different people. For some of us, it might be a teddy bear that we received as a young child. And uh, those of you who know me, I'm not a teddy bear type of person, but I found out this week or last week when I talked to somebody that this person had a teddy bear ever since they were like five, really young, and they still have it to today. I definitely do not want to smell that teddy bear, but they still have it to today because it's very significant and it's valuable to them. For some of us, it might be a note that we have received from somebody and so once again, I'm not really a note person, but some of you are. And so that note that you receive from that person that you value, those words that were spoken that were valuable, that encouraged you, that helped you in a situation, that becomes very valuable to you. For some of us, it might be a ticket stuff for, from a concert that you attended. Black Pink. <laughs> anyway, uh, <clears throat> And so you have that ticket stub, you know, hanging somewhere, very precious because it was quite an experience that you had, and especially with maybe possibly with some of your friends that you went with. For me, it is my NIV study Bible. Now, I'm not trying to be spiritual at all here. I, you know, it's like, who do you love? I love Jesus. Okay, we, we, we know that. But let me explain a little bit. And I still have it. This, this is all the way back. In, we're talking about in the late 1980s. This study Bible was it's about this thick. And the thing about the NIV study Bible, it just came out. It was like the new thing is that they had commentary notes on the bottom of the page. So as you're reading the passage up on the top, there's notes on the bottom. And the reason why it's so valuable to me is a couple of reasons. Number one, that was the Bible that I read the whole Bible, the first time in my life. And there were some parts I did not like because it was boring. I just saw names I couldn't pronounce. But then also, there were other things that God awakened my heart. And this is where I had a hunger and a desire to know God more. So that's why this Bible is very significant for me. And if I, 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 wish, I, I wish I could show it to you, but it literally has not only highlighted with yellow highlights, but I would be like that Asian kid with that ruler and then using it to underline certain phrases. I took notes from the notes. I would write it all over. So my NIV study Bible is weathered and torn, and it's kind of beat up because I read it, I carried it everywhere I went, you know, sometimes looking extra spiritual. But anyway, as I carried this Bible, this was the Bible that I fell in love with with the word of God. It was also the Bible that I wrote a summary for each chapter in the Bible so that I could right away memorize and know that that story is from this passage, this chapter, this book. I might not get the exact verse, but I have some idea of what book it's from and what chapter, because I wrote out a summary of each of the chapters. So this NIV study Bible has a lot of significance and a lot of value to me that will probably have no value to you. The interesting thing about labeling something as valuable is really dependent dependent on what you and I put worth in that object. Whatever we're putting worth in that object, that becomes valuable to us. This is why if we had a million dollars, let's just assume that we have a million dollars, we would all buy different things because our value system is different from one another. Some of you might buy one million Big Macs because that's what you value. Some of you will buy a car. Some of you will buy other things. But once again, what you value will determine what you do with that asset that you have what i want to do is show you this quick video and it's some of the ridiculous things that are out there that actually people pay now i want you to watch this with kind of like this critical mind and ask yourself as you're sitting there would i spend that much on that like ask yourself that but believe it or not there are actually people who spent hundreds and thousands, if not millions, of dollars, USD, on some of these objects. So let's watch this together. Was there anything that caught your eye? I mean, I'm sitting there watching this and I'm thinking, it's ridiculous the amount of money that people will spend to buy something. The way I look at it, it's it's so, there's no value in it. Maybe the one-digit license plate, possibly. But think about this. All this money spent on things, and if you're watching this, many of us will agree, some of this seems so useless. But the point that I'm trying to make is this. What you think is useless and a waste of money to another person, it is worth it. It is worth that 400-some-thousand dollars USD. It is worth the $32 million that's being spent. So my question for you this morning is what is the most valuable thing to you? What are you willing to give your life to? I think one of the best ways to find out when you think about what we value is to really assess and discover how we use our time, treasure, and talents The investments that you make in these three areas will reveal very clearly what you value. You can say whatever you want, but from your life, how you invest in some of these things will reveal very clearly what it is that you genuinely value. For some of us, it is our health and what we look like. That's why we spend so much time in the gym. It's amazing that we have no problem spending about an hour, hour and a half every single day in the gym, but we can't even read the Bible for 10 minutes. So clearly by your actions, how you use your time and the things that are available to you shows what you value. For some of us, it's our grades and GPA. For others of us, it's our career. The amount of time that you spent in those things really reveals your values. Now, please don't misunderstand me, because there will be times where you cannot come out to church. You cannot come out to life group. I understand that. And we're not trying to keep a perfect attendance. But if that grade is more important than ministering to other people or growing in a relationship with God, very clearly we can tell because of the decisions you make. For some of us, it's our success or prosperity or maybe for our comfort. And that's why everything that we're doing in terms of our investments, our time, treasure, and talent, it shows us that that is what is our ultimate goal in life. But how about our relationship with Jesus or our love for the things of the kingdom of God? How about eternal souls? The eternality that one day all of us will pass away here on this earth, but there will be some people who will spend eternity in hell or eternity in heaven. That's why this coming month, in this month of November, as we've been calling it Missions Month, We're going to do everything possible as a church to help us to reorient our values, to think about what are the most important things in life. You don't think about this when you're young. Many of us are young, but you do start thinking about this when you're on your deathbed. When some of us will have a lot of regrets, when we think about all the things that we've been building up, it's a house of cards, it begins to collapse, and we ask ourselves, why do we spend so much time in this thing? Why do we spend so much of our energy and our resources and all of the talents that God has given us? Why do we spend all that on these things when we realize now that there are things that will last forever that we cannot, in that very moment in your deathbed, be able to change? I'm praying as we're going into this mission month and even this morning as I was praying, I'm praying that God will instill in many of you who are young in our church a whole new vision about the kingdom of God and about who Jesus is and what He wants to do, not only in your life, but in our church and in this world and saying, God, simply use all my time, use all my talents, use all my treasures. Help me to be a part of what you're doing. That could be translated as going to work faithfully every single day. That could mean being a good student. That could mean being a good life group member. That could mean some of you will hear the call and be sent out and go to different places that are very difficult. As we talked about today, it's the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Is the gospel more valuable to you than even your very life that you are willing to go to some of the most difficult places to share the gospel of Jesus Christ? That's why we're going to put a pause, as I mentioned, on the book of Mark. We'll continue that even after, as we finish off this missions month, but we're going to do a four part series called No Other Name. Today, part one, I want to talk about the worthiness of Jesus. The worth of Jesus that is worth giving of ourselves to. Part two next week, I'm going to talk about the worship of Jesus. What does it mean to worship Jesus with everything that we have in our lives? And then the third part is the work for Jesus, that the things that we're doing now, whether you go to work on Monday or you go to, quote unquote, work to school, that that is all part of our calling And so I want to talk about that in the third part. And lastly, I want to talk about witness for Jesus. What does it mean to witness, testify about our faith to the nations and those people around us? So as we talk about missions, it's vital, before we think about doing missions, that we make sure that our motivation of the why we do it it's in line with the heart of Jesus. So here's the one thing that I want us to remember, and it's up here. It's simply this. When we see the infinite worthiness of Jesus, we, we will and we must surrender to the costliness of Jesus. That there is no other cost that's greater than the cost of what Jesus did for us. He is infinitely great, infinitely awesome. And I pray, and this is my hope and prayer, that you will see the worthiness of who He is. So then you will then surrender your life, surrender everything that you have to the costliness of who Jesus Christ is and what He has done for us. So in order for us to see the infinite worthiness of Jesus so that we can surrender to the costliness of Jesus, there are a couple things that I want us to note here in Revelation chapter 5. The first thing is this, if we're going to do this, The first thing that we need to experience is we need a vision of Jesus. Come on, everyone say that with me. We need a vision for Jesus. Okay, some of us are still falling asleep. Come on now. Okay, let's say it together. Count to one, two, three. We need a vision of Jesus. That's the first thing. If we really are going to give ourselves to this infinite worth of who Jesus Christ is, We can't really read chapter five in the book of Revelation without reading chapter four. And if you just have your Bibles in front of you, you could just quickly turn to chapter four and you will notice that Apostle John, who is the writer of the book of Revelation, saw a vision of heaven and it's described clearly in verse chapter four. Now, we're not going to have time to read chapter 4, but as you just quickly peruse through it, and as I summarize, you will see that the focus of chapter 4 is on the scene where someone is seated on a throne. And all these heavenly creatures are surrounding this throne and they're worshiping. Now it's very clear in chapter 4 and you will also see it in chapter 5 that there was a description of 24 elders all dressed in white and they're wearing golden crowns. Now it also says that there were four living creatures with them all having six wings. Now some of you who know scripture right away you should be thinking about Isaiah chapter 6 when Isaiah the prophet saw a vision of God he saw these seraphims that were flying around they had six wings. And that's the same picture that we see here in chapter 4. And what are they doing? They're all declaring and singing of the worthiness of God. Let's read Revelation chapter 4, verse 9 through 11. It's up here. Please read the yellow section with me. It says this, And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever. They cast down their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive Glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. So, this is the vision of heaven that we see here in chapter 4. Now we come to chapter 5, and it's a continuation of this heavenly scene. And that's where we're going to read the first seven verses of chapter 5. Let's read this together. Uh, I'll read it. You could just kind of follow along as you're in your mind, but you could just look up here. It says this. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals. And his seven seals and between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into the earth, all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. I hope you're trying to picture this because you have to understand this is a vision that the Apostle John saw. In chapter four, it's about these living creatures and there was someone on a throne and they were bowing down, worshiping. And then in chapter five, as we're focusing on today, we see a continuation of what's happening in this heavenly scene. In verse one, we see that the person sitting on the throne had a scroll and this scroll had seven seals and it was in his right hand. Scholars believe that these scrolls represented a contract deed, or if you will, like a will and testament. And because Jesus died and rose again, uh, again, he is the only one who is worthy to open up the scroll. What the scroll represents is that it stood for all of God's covenant promises of the kingdom and most importantly, the judgment that is to come. A lot of us, we, we, we don't know full fully this whole gospel message. because We're always on God loves you, God loves you. Yes, He does. But clearly, time and time again, when you read the gospels in the Bible, as well as the book of Revelation, there will be a time of judgment. And we don't like to talk about that, because that's not very nice. And you're not being sensitive. You're not being PC, politically correct. But this is what the Bible says. There will be judgment that will come. And to those who do not know Jesus Christ and are not covered in the blood of the lamb or the white clothes that Jesus purchased for us, you will be judged and you will be sent to hell. And that's why people, John is weeping because no one is able to open the scroll because this is the last will and testament. It is about God's full purpose and also the judgment that is to come. In verse 2 and 3, we see one of the angels asking, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And it says no one could be found. As we read in verse 4, we see the apostle John as he's weeping loudly because no one can open up the scroll. Then finally in verse 5, one of the elders told John, stop weeping and behold the only person who is worthy and that person it's Jesus Christ. Can I ask you, how many of us on any given day when we wake up, we have a clear vision of who Jesus is? I would say if it's like most of us, and I have those days too where we just wake up and we're busy just trying to get to the next thing. Or we're just in bed because we don't want to get up. The last thing it is is that we have this vision of heaven or this vision of Jesus. But when we look at this vision, how is Jesus described in this vision? Well, there's several things that we read and we notice. The first thing is this. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah. We see that in verse 5. The reason why this is important is because the imagery of a lion refers to a figure of strength and authority as well as this idea of courage and sovereignty and victory. That's why Jesus is the lion of Judah. The lion, animal lion, he's the king of the jungle, but Jesus, the king, the lion of Judah, he is the king of the universe. This idea of lion of Judah, why is that important? Because it goes back to the Old Testament, where it was prophesied that out of the tribe of Judah, a messianic king, a messiah will come. So right here, one of the things we know about Jesus is that he is a lion, but particularly the fulfillment of the prophecy that he was going to be the messiah, he is from the tribe of Judah. The second thing that describes Jesus in this vision is the root of David. The phrase, the root of David is also messianic, that there is this Messiah because it was out of King David's lineage that a Messiah will come into this world. That's one of the most fascinating parts, because when you look at the Gospels, even in the book of Matthew, you will notice that all these people, they came out of the lineage of Jesus. There were some who were pretty bad people, people who made bad decisions. But in that lineage, one of the things you will see is that that Jesus was born. And so it was a promise, a prophecy that was given that through this line of David, the Messiah will come. So this vision of Jesus already, the line of Judah from the tribe of Judah, And this root of David is a fulfillment of prophecy, that everything that God said, it is true. The last thing that I I want you to note here, and this is important, is another description of Jesus is the lamb. Now, some of you heard it like he's a lion and the lamb. But if you think about it, they're juxtaposed against one another. That doesn't seem like it fits, because how can you be a lion the king of the universe, the king of the jungle, and then a lamb. And those of you who know about lambs, they're pretty dumb and, you know, they're just kind of quiet. Like, how does this work? Well, the important things that you need to understand is doesn't mean Jesus was dumb. He's not a sheep that goes, nah, and just runs around. That lamb was significant because in the Old Testament, they would have to sacrifice the lamb for the sins that they'd committed. That's why in verse 6, John saw a lamb that appeared between the throne and the four living creatures around it. There was a lamb. And this lamb that John saw, it says that it appeared that he has been slain or sacrificed. It's amazing that Jesus is to refer to these two, lion and the lamb. Jesus as a lion has strength and authority, but now he's described as this lamb, which reminds us that what was prophesied by the prophet Isaiah. Look at Isaiah chapter 53, starting from verse 7. It says this, he was oppressed, referring to Jesus or the Messiah. In this prophecy, it was about a Messiah, but later on we realized it was about Jesus. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a, come on, say this with me. Lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is before his shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Because he was doing the will of the Father. Because he had to die for the sins of the world so that you and I can have eternal life, have our sins forgiven. I'm wondering, if you think about a v- the vision of Jesus, what do you see? Do you just see him as this lamb who loves you? Oh, a cute little lamb, and he died for me. Do you also see him as a lion who will one day come in authority and judge? Or some of you, you just see him as a lion, but you don't realize that he was slain and was sacrificed for you because that's how much he loves you, and he loves his glory. I love what Adrian Rogers said. He wrote this and to remind us of this Jesus who's the lion and the lamb. It's almost like an oxymoronic statement, but listen to what he says. He says, he f- came the first time to die. He's coming again to raise the dead. When he came the first time, he qu- they questioned whether he was king. The next time, the world will know that he is king of kings and lord of lords. The first time he wore a crown of thorns, the next time he will be wearing a crown of glory. The first time he came in poverty, the next time he is coming in power. The first time he had an escort of angels, the next time he will come with 10,000 of his saints. The first time he came in meekness, he is coming again in majesty. This is why he is the lion and the lamb. He came first time as a lamb to be a sacrificial offering to God for our sins. But he's coming back in judgment and he will come back as a lion. And he will judge us and judge the world. Now the question is, why is this vision of Jesus so important? And I want you to think about this. Because you're not going to see the worthiness of Jesus that you're willing to surrender to the costliness of who Jesus is, unless you see this vision of Jesus. The reason why this is important is that it shows that through Jesus' sacrifice on the cross and the resurrection, as He resurrected from the dead, He is the only one, the only one who is worthy to open up the scroll. There is not a single person in this world because every single one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He is the son of God, the perfect lamb of God who came in this world, died for us, lived a perfect life, died for us on the cross, suffered the horrible death on the cross. He rose again from the dead. There is no other religious leader that can claim that they resurrected from the dead. He resurrected from the dead and now he reigns as the king of kings and the Lord of Lord and he's coming and when you see this vision of jesus in this way that the lion and the lamb that he is from the tribe of judah the root of david the promises that god gave and everything that god has said it is true that's when you realize in your life right now whatever you're going through that god will overcome and conquer that's why i don't think it's a coincidence when Jesus is the only one who is worthy to open up the scroll, is because he has conquered. That's what it says in verse 5. That word conquered is translated as prevailed, to overcome or to win the victory. Jesus Christ won the victory. The last thing that Satan had against humanity was death. Jesus Christ rose again from the dead. And that's why, oh, death, where is your sting? It can no longer harm us because if we were to die, we will spend the rest of eternity with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's why there is no one equal to him and no one that has accomplished what he has accomplished. So that's why when we have a vision of God in this way as this conquering lion who will come back to bring judgment, judgment, Those who are persecuted and suffering under cruel leaders and government, they could be confident that as they stand firm in their faith, that the lion of Judah is going to come back and judge the world. But at the same time, when we wonder, as we go through suffering and hardships, we think about Jesus, the lamb, who was quiet when he was led into his slaughter. He died a criminal death. And that vision of not only the lion, but this lamb, this precious lamb of God who loved us. It should soften our hearts when we think about what we're going through in our lives. That's why we will worship him. I want to just pause here and just kind of challenge us with this thought. And I'm going to play it out for you so you understand this very clearly. Why a vision of Jesus is important. Every single one of you in this room, you have a vision of your life. Now, some of you are like, Pastor, I don't know what my purpose is. What do you mean a vision? I don't don't even know what I'm going to eat tomorrow or the lunchtime. What vision? Let me explain. Your vision of your life will dictate the decisions you make today and the things that you do. Can I rewind the tape and have you... Play it out in your own minds. And you figure out what the vision of this person's life is. The question is this, or the series of questions. Now start over here. Why did you want to get into that one school so badly? That obviously some of you didn't get into, so that's why you're in Hong Kong. Oh, truth hurts. Let's be honest. That one school that you were trying to get into, but you didn't get that scholarship. So then you got a full ride here. So like, oh, well, I might as well come here. Or some of you who are praying to God, let me get into the school and you got it. My question is, why were you so determined to get into that university? Well, you can answer that question by going to the next question. Well, I really wanted to get into the university because this is a good school and it's going to allow me to get a good education. So my question is, why do you want to get a good education? Well, I want to get a good education because as I do well in school, then I will then be able to get internships and go on exchange and do all this stuff. So I'm going to ask you again. Why do you want to go to that exchange and do that internship? Why? Well, because that's going to help me with my CV so that after I graduate, I can get a job, a good job. So then here we are. We're moving along in the process towards your vision. Then why do you want to get a good job? Well, pastor, that's obvious, isn't it? When I get a good job, I'm going to get a higher salary and higher pay. So then I'm going to ask you, why do you want to get a job with a higher pay? Come on, pastor, are you that dumb? I want to get a job with a good pay because I can get a lot of money. And with that money, I could buy things. I could buy an apartment. I could buy a car. I could buy a lot of comforts in life, things that I desire and things that I want. Now we're getting to the truth. So why is it that you want to have that kind of lifestyle? And that's when we get stuck. So if you rewind this all the way over here, what you begin to realize is I have a vision of my life. And what is that vision? Quickly fast forward. That vision is to be comfortable, to be rich, to just enjoy life. That's the vision for your life. You will never say it, but every single decision along the way gives us or gives you a way that we clearly see your vision. Every decision, everything that you're deciding to do. And I'm not saying any of these things are wrong. I'm just simply saying our decisions determine our destiny. And so you're starting over here, wanting to get into that university is because you have a vision for your life. You might not say it, you might not fully know it, but you have some concept of it, you have a vision of it. I wanna be successful, I wanna make a lot of money, I wanna be comfortable, I wanna provide for my family, I wanna take care of my parents. You have a vision for your life. That's why every single decision now, I don't know what stage of life you're in now, some of you who are high school students joining us, praise God, you're, so you're here, you're just starting. Keep on studying Kuman, whatever you do, you know, do, do it. Some of us are here in the midst of university and we're making decisions. Some of us are here, we graduate, we have this job, and we hate our jobs because it's not against us to our destiny. That vision that we have of making a lot of money and being comfortable and supporting our parents. All good things. But that's the only thing. Why do you study so hard? Why do you work so hard? Why do you try to please people so much? Because you have a vision of your future. And unless we can come to a point in your walk with God, be humble enough to confess, this is my vision. There's no Jesus in this. And if there is Jesus, I'm just tagging him on just to make it sound very spiritual. Yeah, I'm studying really hard, pastor, because I want to be a good witness for Jesus Christ. My Whatever. Yeah. Yeah, that's who's going to argue study hard to be a good witness for Jesus Christ. No, you should be a bad witness for Jesus Christ. See, this is where we're talking about spiritual manipulation. You take something and you label it with some of these phrases so you look good. But in your heart, there's wickedness because it is all for you. There is no Jesus in your vision for your future. I'm wondering if we started here and we have a vision of Jesus. That he is the lion of Judah, the root of David. Everything that God has promised, it has come true and it will come true. That's why all the things that he has promised you right here, right now, in this part of your life, you can trust him. So that even though you don't do well in school, maybe you have flunked that one exam. Because you were talking with somebody because they were hurting and they needed someone to be there. And you're you're fighting it in your heart. God, Lord, I need to study three more hours for this exam. But here's this person who's struggling, maybe even thinking about suicide. I don't know what to do. Hi, leader, can you come now? Okay, I got to go. But you're saying helping this person in their destiny is infinitely greater and worth so much more than me getting here and being comfortable and successful. Because this person's life is on the line in terms of their eternity. If you have a vision of Jesus, and all the promises that he has said has come true, and you realize that you have a vision of Jesus, of his sacrifice, the Lamb of God, that he died a costly death for you and me in his abundant grace and his mercy and grace that we don't deserve, how might that determine the decisions you're making now? What will you value? How will you live your life? Where will you make the investment of your time, your treasure, and your talents? How about us this morning as we think about this, the vision of Jesus? What is the vision for your life? Is your vision based on something that's temporary or something that's eternal? Do you have a clear vision of Jesus? Do you see him, the lion and the lamb? Who he is, what he has done for us, what he's going to do, and he's coming back. Are you ready? I'm wondering if you see the infinite worthiness of Jesus so that you can say, God, Jesus Christ, here's my life. I wanna close with the second point. Not only must we have a vision of Jesus, but we need to value Jesus. In fact, they're kinda intertwined, but you first gotta see how great and awesome he is. And when you see how valuable and awesome he is, That's when you begin to treasure him more and more in your life. Let's finish off and read verse 8 through 14. This is what it says. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and or to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation, and you have made them a kingdom and priest, and priest to our God, and they shall reign on earth. Then I looked and I heard who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. It's interesting that the scroll that was held in the right hand of the person who was sitting on that throne, it says, Jesus the Lamb came and took that scroll because he was the only one worthy to open it up. So he took that scroll and then the 24 elders fell down in worship. Each of these elders had a harp and a golden bowl of incense, which is seen as the prayers of the saints. We see this in scripture in Psalm 141 verse 2. I'm going to read it from the New Living Translation. It says this, accept my prayer as incense offered to you and upraised hands as an evening offering. So our prayers are like incense that are collected in a bowl that we lift up to God. And the two names, once again, the lion and the lamb, it's this emphasis that Jesus Christ conquers and reigns over all the earth. Verse 9, we have to note here Because as we're talking about valuing Jesus, we see they sing a new song. And this new song that they sang was ascribing worthiness or worth to Jesus because all that he has done. The question is this, what did he do? Well, we read it and it's right there. First of all, we were ransomed. Now it's important that you notice this word, note this word ransomed. In fact, I'll I'll show it to you by different translations because that word is very important in the original language. I'm going to read it from the NIV and also the New King James Version. Listen to what it says in the NIV. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you what? Purchased. You purchased. Men and women for God from every tribe and every language, and every people, and every single nation. Like, this talks about the totality of every single human being. Every tribe, every nation, every person. Where are the women? Well, men being (laughs) collective. Men and women. This is why sometimes the original language is better than the English language. With your blood. That means blood was the price that he paid so that he can purchase you and me. That's what he did. I don't know about you, but even Paul talks about that in the book of Romans. Remember, for a righteous person, somebody might die, but to die for a sinner, an unrighteous person. I want you to think about your life as I think about my life. Who in this world would die for you? well, you're going to have to say someone who really loves me. But are you really worthy of love? The way we sin, the way we are selfish and we think about ourselves, but Jesus did. When we were unlovable, he loved us. And he didn't just love us, he demonstrated, he showed it to us by giving his blood, his life, and dying on the cross. If you ever doubt that God loves you, I want you to just sit in front of a cross and just just meditate and just sit there and remind you the horrific death, the criminal death that Jesus had to go through. You talk to any physician or medical doctor, they'll tell you everything that Jesus endured that night. Like it, it was excruciating pain. For a righteous person, someone might be willing to die, but for a sinner, somebody who did that wrong to you five years ago, that ex-boyfriend, girlfriend, that person who bullied you, that boss who really didn't care about you and You're not getting promoted. Will you really, can you really, even in the the honest moments of your life, can you really say you are willing to die for them? And if we're honest, all of us will say probably not. But think about our lives, the kind of people we are when no one else is looking. Jesus died for you. He ransomed us. He purchased us. In fact, another translation, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but it says, and have what? Redeemed us. He took what it was, broke it. He redeemed it, restored it, made it new. That's what Jesus did. And whatever you value in your life, these other people, your parents, all that stuff, the people that you love, I'm telling you right now, no one else can do what Jesus did for us as he ransomed us, that he literally purchased us and he redeemed us. He bought us back. Not only did he do that, but the second thing is this, we represent him. That we actually have the privilege, by his death, now we are able to represent him. Why? Because it says here, we are made into a kingdom and a priest. We're made into this kingdom of priests to serve our God. That means that we have the privilege of being priests, a part of the priesthood of believers, that everywhere we go, we represent Jesus Christ. That's what the priests did in the Old Testament these priests, what they would do is they will represent God to the people and then the people to God. They were like the intermediaries. In the same way, we now have the privilege of representing Jesus Christ to the world. How awesome He is, how great He is, and how He could transform your life. That's why He is so valuable to us. Because no one else can change our lives the way Jesus Christ can change our lives. The third thing that we see here, and lastly, is we will reign, that we reign with Him here on this earth. That means that He has given us authority to live our lives, not to rule it over people, but to live in the promises of God, and we will reign just like Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And this is why when you look at verse 11 and 12, as we have read, all these elders are joining with the host of angels, and they're adding their songs, new songs, to this chorus of praise. Why? Because Jesus Christ is so valuable. In fact, the largest number used by the Greek back in this time is pretty much ten thousands of ten thousand. That was the largest number. That's why if you look at the translation, what we have just read in the ESV is the myriads of myriads. What it's simply saying is it is so big and so great that you cannot put a figure on it because there is no measurement of number. That there are angels and saints and these elders that come and bow down and worship because Jesus Christ alone is worthy. And I thought it was interesting in verse 13 and 14 as it closes out. The praises are going to come forth as it encompasses all of heaven, all of the earth, everything in the sea, and everything under the earth. And what God is now declaring is because the worthiness of Jesus is so great. The value of Jesus is so great that people now clearly from every single people group, every single tribe, every single nation with the diversity of worship and the diversity of how we're made. We're going to all come together and we're going to worship Jesus Christ. How about us this morning? How much do you value not only Jesus but what's going to happen at the end? Is Jesus your greatest treasure? Do you value him that much? Because you see a vision of who he is? Do you understand that you're ransomed, that now you are a priest and you reign? That that was purchased for us, given to us. That's why the one thing, once again, is simply this: that when we see the infinite worthiness of Jesus, we will and we must surrender all of ourselves to the costliness of. Of Jesus Christ what he has done for us I'm gonna just give us some basic next steps and I want to close and show you this video that I think really explains everything that I'm trying to share here sometimes you you, you need some time to reflect if you walk out of here go to your class whatever lunch and you just quickly go back to studies or just kind of chill and do nothing I'm gonna tell you right now It is going to go through one year and out the other. That's why we have Tuesday Life Groups. That's why we have Wednesday Life Groups, to help you to process things a little bit more, to have accountability with people who know you well. Because if you were just coming out and you're not part of a life group, people don't really know you well. But when you're doing life together, that's when you can help each other. The first thing that I want to encourage you to do is this, to assess your assets. And assets is not so much your property, whatever, but just the things that you have, your time, your treasures, or resources, and your talents, the things that God has given to you. Take some time to assess it. Where am I making most of my investments? That's why I always challenge people, look at your bank account, look at your statements. Look at all the places you purchase and you realize a lot of the things that you purchase on a given month is all on you is there a section where you tithe because i've said this to people and no one believes me if you cannot tithe with 100 hong kong dollars you will not be able to tithe with a hundred a thousand a hundred thousand or a million hong kong you will not i'm a firm believer of this and many years of doing ministry it is true because a lot of people say well if I don't have that much money, but when I get a lot of money, I'm going to give. Are you kidding me? You're not. If you cannot be faithful with the little that you have and still trying to be faithful and tithing, because it's not about the amount, it's different amount, but equal sacrifice. If you cannot give with 100 Hong Kong dollars or tied off one Hong Kong dollars, when you make a million dollars later on, you're not going to be able to do that. Because why? Let me explain why. Because right now you're just trying to survive and it's all about you. When you get the money, you're not going to be like, (laughs) I am so generous now. Who should I give it to? No. You're going to be like, I need that car. I need that watch. I need that bag. I need whatever. And you're going to start buying more and more. And it's going to be, because why? Because now you have more means to do it. So what's the consistent? It's your selfishness. It's your greed. That has not changed, whether you had a little or a lot. So I want to encourage you, assess your assets. Where are a lot of my time, my treasures, and my talents? Where is it going to? If it's not going to your relationship with God, if it's not going to relationship with people and loving them and serving them and helping them, at the end of the day, it's all about you. It shows that you don't have a vision of Jesus and you don't value Jesus and the things of his kingdom the second thing is this ask others to assess you because we're horrible assessors well I'm good I bought them Starbucks coffee man you know how expensive that is I'm good I bought them sushi oh yeah I'm really good Huh? have people who love you and say hey brother I've been looking at your life recently, the last two months, and man, because I love you. And we, we grew up together in college. We know each other. I just feel like you're not living for the things of God. It's all about yourself. You've been locked up in your room, just kind of, I don't know what you're doing there. See, that's a good friend. A good friend does not just leave you in the room and just because they don't want to offend you. All my good friends offend me. I want to punch them in the nose sometimes. They offend me all the time. But they're my good friends because they love me. They want the best for me. Don't call somebody a friend if all you do is just eat Malaysian food, you know, and go to a party room all night and say, yeah, we're great friends. Are you really? Dang, how does Pastor know all this? There's more than you think I know. Is that really good friends? Maybe you need to kind of seek some truth, but in love. Hold their hand. Look them in the eye. They're like, what what is going on here? I say, brother, I love you, man. And I'm just telling you. You're spending a lot of time over here doing all this stuff, but I just don't feel like you're walking with God. Ask others to assess you. Third and lastly, act in response to who Jesus is. When you get that vision of Jesus, when you start valuing him, treasuring him more and more, then respond to that who he is, how great and awesome he is, how much he loves us, the lion and the lamb. Say, here's my life, Lord. Who would die for a person like me, but you did. You ransomed me, you purchased me, you bought me, you redeemed me. Here's my life. I give my all. I don't know how many of you know Ruth Bell Graham. She is the wife of Billy Graham. And those of you who don't know Billy Graham, he is an evangelist, a famous evangelist who passed away not too long ago. Probably evangelized to more people in this world than anyone else in this history of the world. She was born in China on June 10th, 1920. Her parents were medical missionaries at this Presbyterian church about 300 miles north of Shanghai. So she grew up in China. She, she, she grew up as missionary kid. As a young girl, there in this small little hospital compound, Ruth first sensed this great calling to abandon everything for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Just as a young girl. When she saw all the suffering of the people in China back during that time in the early 20th century. It only strengthened her conviction and her resolve that the human need is not only physical health, but they needed to be saved. They needed a savior. Until her early adult years, she dreamed of serving as a single missionary. That means she doesn't want to get married because she wants to focus on the mission of God. She wanted to go somewhere far away in a corner of the earth that no one has ever gone to. She wanted to go to the mountainous place of Tibet where no gospel has been reached. No person has heard the gospel. That was her dream. At the age of 13, Ruth was sent to a boarding school in Pyongyang, which is North Korea now. She studied there for three years. And even under this terrible homesickness, she learned to overcome the loneliness of being far away from her loved ones by taking care of the needs of other people. Instead of being so self-focused, she decided even though she was lonely and missed home, missed her family, she was going to serve other people. And later on, that skill, that development, that training would help her in the years to come. Ruth completed her high school education in Montreal, North Carolina while her parents were on furlough, which is home assignment. And in the autumn of 1937, she enrolled in Wheaton College, which is a university outside of Chicago. And three years later, she was introduced to a person named the preacher, Billy Graham. And they they were dating, and then they got married, but she would share how... She struggled between what she thought was her calling to the mission field and this blossoming love that she had for this crazy evangelist. In the late April 1941, after much struggling in prayer, Ruth realized that her life mission was to be bound up with Billy Graham's passion for world evangelization. Shortly after their graduation from Wien, the two were married in August 13th. 1943 her husband Billy Graham moved on to serve as evangelist for youth of Christ and eventually serves as the evangelist and the president of Billy Graham Evangelistic Association they built their lives and built a family and raised five kids five children and one of the most difficult things for her and you will hear her sh- when she shared her testimony was when she had to take care of the five children all by herself. Because Billy Graham was gone for almost three quarters of the year around the whole world preaching the gospel. But the great thing is that she treasured her role as being the strong woman behind the America's pastor. She was Billy Graham's closest confidant, it says here, the most trusted advisor and dearest friend. She loved to move things behind the scenes, away from the spotlight, and even helped him craft and research sermons and even books. I was just thinking about her life this week because I was trying to come up with a sermon illustration. (laughs) And the thought I had was how does a person do what she did? Everyone knows Billy Graham, but not too many people know Ruth Graham. All the things that she did. But one thing is sure, those who were closest to her knew her very well. How important she was to them. And the incredible part is her life story. Being born in China as an American. but spoke fluent Chinese gave her life she wanted to be a missionary into mountainous area of tibet where people have never heard the gospel she went to wheaton college where she could have done anything or become anyone but she decided that the calling that she had was intricately tied in with this man that she married and a lot of people can look at her life and say what a waste all the feminists what a waste you know but let me just say this to you not only did billy graham through where he will give the most credit to his wife was able to do what he did but she impacted her family and many people after her and the gospel continues on so at her funeral Fernando Ortega, he has this famous song called Give Me Jesus. And I want you to listen to the words of this song. Because what he's saying is pretty much Ruth Bell Graham's life, and I pray that it will be yours. No matter what the world gives to me, no matter what happens in my life, no matter how hard and difficult life is, give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. So I'm going to show you this video that was a special tribute to Ruth Bell Graham and her life where she saw the vision of Jesus and she valued Jesus so much that she was willing because of the worthiness of Christ surrender her life, surrender everything that she had to the costliness of Jesus Christ. Let's watch this together and afterwards we'll come and we'll pray and we'll end it here. Let's stand together as we close in prayer. Can I just ask us to bow our heads for a moment here? You can close your eyes. You know, so many of you are young. I I was where you were at one point. I feel like I have my whole life in front of me. But after many decades later, I really don't know how much longer I'm going to live. And then that's why I always say it's a good place to start. What do you want people to say about you at your funeral? Here lies a person who chased after the money and chase after the things of this world. They're so busy doing a lot of things. But I really do pray that at your funeral and at my funeral, there will be a throng of people coming and saying that he or she touched my life. Oh, how he loved so well. Oh, how she gave up everything, surrendered everything to live for Jesus and his mission and his purpose. Oh, how he did not make anything about himself, but exalted Jesus. this is the reason why we need a vision of Jesus every single day. A vision of the future. The lion and the lamb. The root of David. That one day, everything is going to pass away and you're going to have to stand before God and give an account of your life. Therefore, I pray that you will value Jesus so much even though you're young, even though some of us are still trying to figure out life, that you will value Jesus more than a church, more than an organization, more than anything else. You will value Jesus so much that you will begin to treasure Him, that He is is the most incredible thing in your life. That when people look at your life, with all the decisions you make, of your time treasure and talents they can say that this person loved Jesus so much may you inspire many generations after you to give up everything to follow Jesus Christ because he is the only one worthy of giving our lives to so father I just pray for every single one of us as we stand in your in your presence We are in awe of your majesty, of your greatness. We think about the sacrifice, Lord Jesus, that you've made for people like us. That God, you're so infinite, you're so grand, you're so big, but you came down to earth in the form of a human being, lived among us, but yet with no sin. You loved so well. You were compassionate towards people. You rebuked those who were self-righteous. You performed miracles. And most of all, you changed hearts. And we thank you for that. How would we not want to give all that we have to you? Lord, your worth is beyond measure. There's nothing that compares to you. You are unique. You are matchless. You are majestic. And I just pray right now in the name of Jesus that every single one of us in this room will get an incredible vision of how awesome you are. That not only will it humble us, but God, that it will expose our hearts for what it is. And all we can do is turn to you and not only ask for forgiveness, but to say, God, here's my life. Do whatever you want with it. It's yours, Lord. Because there is no other name under heaven in which we must be saved. And God, as you have purchased, ransomed, bought, redeemed us, I pray that we will live our lives because you are so worthy. And the costliness of who you are, and the great sacrifice you made for us, may it just fill us with gratitude and joy and a willingness, a humble willingness to obey, to do everything that we do to glorify you, to honor you, to exalt you, because there is no one else. No one else, Lord. Can I just give us a minute to allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you? Maybe some of us need to start assessing our lives. Maybe God's been speaking today. Maybe there's some things that you got to repent of. Maybe there's some things that you got to say yes to. To say yes to Jesus. Because He alone is worthy. Let the Holy Spirit do the work in your heart. No preacher, no leader, no one can do that. Only God can do that. So just use this time, the quietness of this moment to let the Holy Spirit speak to you. I don't know about you, but I feel this strong presence of the Lord in this place. And I believe he wants to speak to many of you. Listen and respond to him in your own way where you feel like he's wanting you to respond. The worthiness of Jesus may capture our hearts once again for his glory. Just for one minute, will you do that right now? Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.